Footsteps of Mad Men Chapter 1 Way The stench of death would not leave his nostrils. It had stung him every day since they had passed the town of Luther. He saw the bodies in his dreams. Those sacks of dried skin, the eyeless sockets, their contents scavenged long ago by crows, the scabs of disease, crusted and black. The rotting had taken the town. Only a single soul had barely lived, a boy who Peter had put out of his torturous misery with a single shot to the head. The hound and his men had passed through, not daring to drink the water from the well or eat the food in the unguarded pantries. Luther was no more than another dead town in the wide, lethal Bundak. The victim of a disease that spread with increasing ferocity through its dying lands. It had been eight days since I passed the town, but still, he could not help but think of it now. Ahead, a small hut squatted beside a well. Peter looked to his older brother. What do you think? he asked. Sully grunted. Peter nodded and pushed his hat up a little. Good. Let's take a look. He turned to Franco and Joe. Keep your guns cocked. If the owner shows signs of the rotting, take him out. Aye, said Franco. Joe nodded. He removed a pistol from his holster, cocked the hammer, and held it low against his leg. The four riders approached, their horses moving with slow, heat-weary movements. Nothing stirred from inside the hut. Only a small piece of red cloth flicked in the wind that kicked across the desert. The same wind was the only sound Peter could discern. Peter brought his men to a stop. He clambered down from his horse, stroking her neck as he walked on ahead. He arced to the right, taking slow and steady steps to the dry grit. To him, the hut rotated, revealing the other side of the building. A man was squatting in the shadow. Oh, said Peter, raising his right arm. The man in the shadow turned his head to the greeting. He stood up, a long turd visibly hanging from between his butt cheeks. Something gave, and it dropped to the dirt. The man pulled up his pants, tightening a belt as he walked into the sunlight. Ho! Oh, he said in a high voice. Peter positioned himself so the well was between him and the hut's dweller. As a man came within ten feet of the well, he said, That's close enough, friend. You want to pull a water? the man asked. It was a surprise that anything got past his huge, horse-like teeth. A smattering of beauty in you, boy, thought Peter. Aye, Peter replied in Pindaki. But first, you show me you ain't got the rot. What's that? the man asked. Perhaps it's not spread this far, he thought. Just show me your arms. I'll tell you if you've got it. The man rolled up his sleeves. The skin was dark, but there were no blemishes. Now your belly, said Peter. He saw that Sully had walked up to the hut now, 
The man lifted his shirt. Again, there were no scabs or open sores, no dark spots that would soon burst with bile. Was it a miracle? You don't got it, Peter announced. Mayhap we can do business after all. The man smiled a big, yellow-toothed grin. Sounds good to me. The name's Wash. Peter, the hound, responded. These are my men, Sully, Franco, and Joe. Wash raised a right hand to the others. Oh, see, you boys hounds, cause you sure look it. Aye, said Sully. All the way from the city itself. Gosh, it's been years since anyone from the city came past here. Not since I was a boy. Peter put a hand in his pocket. Say, Wash, how much to fill up our war skins? He flicked a gold coin at the half-mutie's feet. Wash bent down and picked it up. Gosh, that's gold. A piece of saliva had dribbled onto his chin. I reckon this'll do it, friend. Boys, said Peter, fill him up. He walked over to Wash, now getting a smell of the ass the inbred Bundaki had failed to wipe. We're on a journey to Wei. You know of it? Wash was still smiling. Oh, sure. It's the last town before them Silver Mountains. Peter smiled. Great. How many days' ride is it? Well, friend, I ain't so good with the numbers, but I knows you ain't got to sleep before you gets there. Less than a half day's ride? asked Peter. Sure. Peter wished he hadn't wasted the money on the water, but it wasn't smart to pass up a chance to fill up on it when you traveled in the Bundak. A day's ride could easily turn to four days if a sandstorm came through. If the weather didn't kill you, the thirst would. You had many folks traveling to Way? asked Peter. Nope. Only Willie and Sam. They takes grain and beer up there. I ain't seen no one else in months. Wash scratched at his backside. When was the last time you saw them? Wash scrunched up his face as he thought, forcing his large teeth out further. Well, must have been when they was heading to Luther. Peter frowned. I have a feeling you ain't gonna see them again. Luther's gone. Shaft, said Wash. It was the popular Brindaki word for shit. I liked them, too. They was always nice to me. Do you get much traffic from other towns except Luther? asked Peter. Well, some folks come down from Wester going to Dagon, but not much lately. You know, the world ain't getting any younger. Just keeps on dying. Like the rest of us, said Peter, finishing the joke. Wash laughed, punctuating the hollowed outburst with a wet fart. Better out than in. I'll set the go, boss, said Franco. He was loading a water skin onto his horse. Well, Wash, I wish you safe nights and warm days, said Peter. Be careful and wait, said Wash. You hear the whistling voices, you gets out. There's something in those mountains. I'm hoping there is, said Peter, as he walked to his horse.
They left Wash and his hut behind them, riding slowly into the heat of the bundak. Peter took a sip from his water skin. The liquid was warm as it slipped down his throat, but his body welcomed it all the same. For several hours the men did not talk to one another. They had run all of the conversation out of themselves through the endless days and nights on this journey. Especially since the events of Luther, the four men had grown quieter. Peter's horse crested a hill, giving him a view of the long stretch of flat earth ahead. In the distance, he could see the outback town of Way and the silver mountains beyond it. Standing four feet out of the rust-colored dirt was a metal signpost. Similar signs stood every one hundred meters or so for as far as Peter could see. He frowned, walking his horse forward. The sign was heavily rusted. It would likely crumble into a cloud of metallic splinters if it were kicked. The actual triangular sign itself still had most of the paint remaining. Three jagged thunderbolts radiated from a single black dot in the center of a yellow background. Peter's face was contorted in thought. What do you make of that? he asked in the old tongue. Sully squinted at the sign, then looked away at the mountains. Nothing good, he said. The older hound walked his horse on past the threshold of the sign's perimeter of the town. Well, I ain't dead yet, said Sully in Bundaki. Peter smiled. He continued to study the sign. As much as he wanted to forget about it, something drew him to the signpost. After a time, he looked up to the mountains, watching as the sunlight on their peaks turned ever more golden. We'll be chasing the night into town, he thought, and kicked his horse gently into motion. navy cloth had been thrown over the land as the sun disappeared behind the peaks of the Silver Mountains. The Bundak's overwhelming heat had disappeared, and the freezing cold of night was approaching. The riders approached the town of Wei, smelling the sweet scent of cooking food, and hearing the echoing of voices and laughter. The town glowed with the light of gas lamps burning along the street and inside the buildings. Peter guided his horse around a wooden cart. The soft clump of hooves echoed from the buildings. He adjusted his poncho, wishing to get out of the chill. On a porch, two old men watched the riders pass, their eyes locked onto Peter's, holding his gaze relentlessly. Quite the welcoming committee, he thought. He looked away, carrying on down the length of the street. Music tinkled down from the saloon a few yards away. It was barely in tune and sounded cheap. Nothing was fancy out here. Not anymore. Peter stopped, hopping down from his horse and quickly tying her up. The rest of his men did the same. He led them up onto the saloon's porch, the sound of his boots heavy on the wood. 
and through the batwing doors. As he and his men entered, the conversation and music faded away. The saloon was not packed, but there were certainly a good twenty men and a handful of whores sitting down, sipping from dirty glasses. Peter touched the brim of his hat and nodded to the room before walking to the bar. The woman serving was packed into her dress, her sweating breasts brimming over as she breathed. She was wide, short, and old enough to have gone through the change. She eyed the men with suspicion. Evening, said Peter, in Bundaki. Evening, she responded. What'll it be, stranger? Four beers. She rubbed her thumb and index finger together. Yeah? Peter produced a gold coin from his pocket and placed it onto the bar. That should cover our tab for the evening, he said. She spat on the floor, a thick, egg-yolk-like glob of spittle. Yeah, about does. She went about pouring the pints. The amber liquid flowed easily into the dirty glasses. They were bundaki clean. The foam was white yet mixed with collected dust. She set the glasses down one after the other. Cheers, said Peter, raising his glass. He downed half a pint in three large gulps. The first pint always went down the easiest when they entered a new town. He let out a subdued burp through his lips. Say, where can four travelers get a bed for the night around here? There's two rooms upstairs, she replied. One more of those gold coins will get you in the room. Two and the four of you can share Kitty. The barwoman pointed to a tall blonde currently sitting on the knee of an old man. The girl was busy rubbing at the man's crotch. Something was clearly beginning to stir between the old man's legs. I think the rooms will be fine, said Peter. What's your name? she asked. Peter Ferenc. He removed his hat and bowed forward a little, before replacing the hat on his head. I'm Anne, she said. What about the rest of you? Sully, Franco, and Joe each introduced themselves. As they did, Anne did not smile, only taking in who they were. You dogs ain't staying more than the night, she said, the corners of her mouth turned down in disgust. Hounds ain't welcome in these parts. Peter nodded. We weren't expecting a welcome. Me and my man will be out of here by the morning. We're just passing through. He placed another gold coin on the bar. For the rooms, miss. Passing through to where? Came a loud, graveled voice from behind them. Peter turned, seeing a gray-haired man standing in the doorway. He was tall, certainly over six feet. Mayhap the mountains, said Peter. The gray-haired man raised an eyebrow. And what's your business in the mountains? See what there is to see, Peter replied. The man laughed hoarsely. See what there is to see. He smiled a yellow-toothed grin. You dogs ain't so smart as you think you are, he said, pointing. I knows you boys is looking for something. That's what you dogs do. Peter smiled. Mayhap we are. What of it? 
Oh, nothing, nothing. Just seeing's as I'm the top man around this town, I likes to know what goes on in it. The man walked forward, his boots clomping heavily with his purposeful steps. The name's Martin Delvino, he said, putting out a hand to Peter. He took it. The handshake felt like two train cars clamping together, all metal and power. Peter, he said, like I said, me and my men are just passing through. You ain't the first dogs to run away, said Martin, releasing his grip. They have come now and then over the years. Looking. Looking for what? asked Peter. He could feel the trap was soon to spring. Looking for what lies in the belly of the mountains, Martin replied, his eyes wide with madness. That is why you've come. Behind the tall man, five brutes stepped through the batwing doors, each of them with pistols in hand. I see you board friends, said Peter. Martin smiled as he took several steps back just as purposefully as he had entered the saloon. Sure, a wise man always picks a fight when the odds are in his favor, he said. Peter worked his jaw, the muscles jumping in a ferocious tantrum. The tension was building quickly, and with it, the saloon began to empty. You wrecked my bar, and began, their chest heaving. Shut up, said Martin. Spit flying from between his lips. You get upstairs. Anne looked from Martin to the four hounds. She spat another creamy egg yolk to the floor and left the bar. Not before taking the second gull coin Peter had left on the bar. Hauling her large backside up the stairs. When Anne had shut herself in a room, Martin smiled. Now, down to our business. Peter and his men fanned out in the saloon. Their years of training began to take effect, honing their senses, heightening their blood pressure. Their fingers twitched. We are hounds of the city, said Peter, trained in the ways of death. I give you one chance. Let us leave, and you will have your lives. Mithilva Haradni, he finished in the old tongue. Martin smiled. Strong words, but in way, we don't give a shit. The tall man's hands were fast, but Peter caught the initial shift in movement. As Martin drew, Peter moved so that he stood side on, drew his gun, and fired in a single blurring motion. Martin was blown back onto the floor. He cried out in pain. In response, the brutes drew out their guns, and Peter's men were on them. The hound's guns roared, filling the saloon with light and clouds of blood as the brutes were blown away. A teenage boy stepped through the door, a shotgun in his hand. It was pointed at the ceiling. Fuck you, dogs, he shouted through gap teeth. Fucking numbnuts, said Joe. He stepped forward, cocked the hammer of his pistol, and fired. The back of the kid's head exploded, and his body collapsed. The shotgun fell, clattered to the floor and fired. Joe took the full blast of buckshot to his chest. Flesh flew away from his body. He let out a gulped sigh of surprise and fell backward over a table. 
Shit, Joe, shouted Franco. Hold your ground, said Sully. This thing ain't over. Martin got up on one elbow and ripped open his shirt. The bullet that had hit him was embedded in a piece of body armor. Fuck you, he said, and threw something. He got up with surprising ease and burst through the batwing doors. Grenade, Peter shouted. Sully took a running jump and exploded through the window. Franco leapt behind the bar and Peter went for the doorway. Before he could clear the building, he was kicked with the force of a freight train as a sudden explosion followed him. He flew to the ground and a stabbing pain hit him in the shoulder. Peter groaned and put a hand to the wound in his back. He felt a large splinter jutting from his flesh. Black leather boots stepped before Peter's darkening vision. They creaked as a man took a knee. A rough hand gripped his chin and pulled his head upward. It was Martin, and he was smiling. Not so smart now, he said. He took his gun, flicked it over, and pistol-whipped Peter with his grip. His world turned to darkness. Peter was back in Luther. The stench of rotting human flesh filled every breath that he took mixing with the hot air that surrounded him. He was crouched in front of a young boy. He was perhaps eight or nine. His skin hung from his bones in folds. His head was more like a skull covered in the thinnest layer of flesh. He looked up at Peter with weary, yellow eyes. The boy parted his lips, the dried skin cracking and allowing a pale dribble of blood to weep down his chin. Peter adjusted his position and put a hand behind the boy's head. Please, mister, said the boy. I don't want you to hurt anymore. Peter's jaw muscles nodded and unknotted in staccato waves. I know. My mama and papa, they gone. Peter nodded. For a moment, the brim of his hat obscuring the boy's face. Thankfully. I miss them. This time, Peter really bit down on his teeth. Soon, he said, the pain will all go away. Yes. Peter removed his hand from the boy's neck and used it to close the boy's eyes and cover them. His other hand went to one of his pistols, pulling it smoothly, silently, from the oiled holster. Jurana Ishmatal Usamanara, he lamented in the old tongue. Ayantal Vanva Turanas Usamanara. He aimed the pistol at the boy's temple and closed his eyes. The gunshot rang out like the rumbling of distant thunder.
footsteps of mad men was written and narrated by K.G. Heath. To find out more and to show your support, visit kgheath.tumblr.com. The music featured in this episode was Unseen Horrors by Kevin MacLeod and Drums of the Deep by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com.